Well, a little over a year ago, I decided that it was a good idea to stand on a folding chair and reach up and put something away. And as you can tell, maybe where this story is going, that it didn't end well for me, that I, um, in a very ungraceful move, uh, the chair moved and I fell off and I landed awkwardly on my wrist and I fractured it. And there was a few things that kind of shook out from this experience. Um, I learned a lot. Um, one of the things that I learned being that I had never broken anything before was that it's actually really painful to break your wrist. Um, for several days, it was kind of the main thing on my mind was how much my wrist hurt. Um, one of the other things that I learned is that actually it takes two hands to do a lot of basic life tasks like buttoning buttons and cutting carrots and things like that. Actually, you depend on two hands. And the last thing that I learned um, was that it actually affected other parts of my body when I broke my wrist. So that was largely because I was protecting my wrist, so I was holding it close to myself. And it ended up affecting my shoulder and my back and my arm. And so I had to do all kinds of you know, therapies to combat this systematic issue that I was having just because I had a fracture in my wrist. And so it ended up being kind of this big thing where I had to go to occupational therapy and do all these exercises. And thankfully, over a year later now, I'm doing great. And I have just a little tiny bit of pain once in a while, but I'm fully functional. So I'm super thankful for that and for the healing process. So one of the things that I learned is that when we have something broken in our life, that it doesn't just affect that one part, that there's actually a ripple effect that goes beyond that. And so we're going to be talking about that today, of what does it look like to have broken things, and how does Jesus come and fix the broken things in our lives and in our greater world? Well, last week here at Harbor Covenant, we had an incredible Easter celebration. It was so much fun. It was so great to have the incredible music, to have the great food, to have the warm welcome and the sermon. There were so many things that were worth celebrating. And one of the things that I loved most was just seeing the church, the group of people come together and put that on and have a celebration all together. And as we think about moving into the Eastertide season, as the church calls it, um, we're going to be moving into a sermon series that celebrates what does it mean for us to live out that resurrection life moving forward. So related to Easter, the theologian N.T. Wright says, Easter Day is not simply the happy ending after the sad and dark story of Holy Week. Easter is the start of something. It is the beginning of the new creation, which has been made by overcoming the forces of corruption and decay in the death of Jesus. And so where do we see the beginning of that new creation? Well, we see it in the launching of the church. So the church is called to unity, the church is called to holiness, and the church is called to be a sign, a sign to the world that Jesus is Lord and that his new creation that started in the resurrection is bursting forth. And the body of Christ as a whole is where this new creation is displayed. And so that means that every Christian, that we have a part to play, that some of us play one part, another plays another part, but all together we play the, the part of bringing the new creation into the world. And ultimately, we are showing the world that there is a different way to be human than maybe people previously thought. And so as we move into our new sermon series this week, um, we're looking at the Jesus way. And we're basically asking the question, what is the way that Jesus holds out that's different? Where is the different way to live that honors God and that brings that resurrection power, that redemption, that wholeness, that healing 
into the world. Well, today we're going to start off with the Jesus way, and we're going to be looking at some powerful imagery of what the church can look like um, and how Jesus described that um, to, to his people that were following him at the beginning of his ministry. So as we move forward, we're working under the assumption that Jesus' mission is to fix the broken and that sin and brokenness have entered into the world, that they've kind of crept, it's kind of crept in to us all individually and corporately, that we see brokenness individually in ourselves, that we see it in the systems in our world, and they mix, they're interrelated. So today we are going to begin with some powerful imagery about the church um, from the mouth of Jesus. And it's going to help us to understand what it might look like for that resurrection power to be coming into the world. So we're going to come in with the assumption that we are living in a broken world, that we see that brokenness played out individually, that we see that brokenness played out corporately, that it gets all mixed together. Sometimes it's hard to know what's individual and what's corporate because they all ripple together and impact each other. And as we begin looking at Luke 4, I just wanted to give a little bit of context. So the, the first thing to know is right before this, um, we see the work of the Holy Spirit come. The Holy Spirit anoints Jesus at his baptism. And then he's sent into the wilderness for a time of temptation um, and responding to the devil with words of scripture. And then the Holy Spirit moves us to where we are now, where he's going to be sent to people. So join me first in reading Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. So this is the context of our main text today. So verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee with the power of the Spirit. News about him spread everywhere. He taught in the Jewish synagogues, and everyone praised him. So Luke here is giving us kind of a transition. He's transitioning us from the baptism of Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness He's transitioning us into his public ministry, and he's telling us a little bit about what we need to know. So what do we need to know? Well, we need to know that the Spirit is present, that the Spirit is guiding Jesus, that the Spirit has led Jesus home um, into the land of Galilee, where he was raised, and there's going to be a sense of people being familiar with him. And we also need to know that the people are talking, <laughs> that there's sort of a sense of, as Jesus goes around and teaches in the synagogues, that the word is spreading, that there's the, the gossip chain has gone along, and the word is good. That even though they are familiar with him, that they are probably really excited about what they call his gracious words and his teaching style, and he's saying things that they want to hear. So we know that Jesus chose to do a lot of his teaching in synagogues, that the synagogues served as the place for teaching and prayer, and the custom was, would be that portions of the scriptures would be read um, during the worship service, and they would start with the Torah, and then they would move on to the prophets. And during that time, they would ask um, a respected or a known male member to read, to read those things, and then also to expound on them, kind of like a sermon today. And so at this point, Jesus was gaining a good reputation with his people, and everyone loved him, right? And so that brings us into our next chunk today, which is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. So read with me. He, meaning Jesus, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was the custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They began to ask. So what Luke is choosing to do here is he's taking this statement from Jesus about him fulfilling these beautiful scriptures from the book of Isaiah, and he's putting them at the beginning of his book um, because he's setting the stage. He's saying, pay attention. This is what Jesus is about. And so Michael Bird writes, this passage is often called the Nazareth Manifesto, and it shows us that the gospel of the kingdom has a holistic vision of salvation, that it centers on the themes of freedom, freedom from sin, from illness, and from debt. All right, so I just love that picture. This is the Nazareth Manifesto. One scholar called this Jesus' mission statement, that Luke is choosing to put this here in this part of the book because he is setting the stage for what is going to be happening all of the ways that Jesus is going to be doing these very things, that he's going to be sharing the gospel or the good news, that he's going to be proclaiming freedom, that he's going to be giving sight, he's going to be freeing the oppressed, and he's going to be proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor as we continue on in the Gospel of Luke. So it's likely um, that in this passage that Jesus was reading, that he actually was summarizing a longer reading, and Luke chose to emphasize um, sort of the main points of how he wanted to continue in his book or in his gospel. And so one of the things that we see again and again from this little chunk of scripture is that Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, um, that that was really important, that he was calling him into ministry and that he was doing that through the Spirit, and that the Spirit was the one that was going to be bringing about God's restorations plan through his death and resurrection and through his teaching. So today I want to focus on three aspects um, of this little Nazareth manifesto. Um, the first thing is let's talk about what does it mean to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, we know clearly from Scripture that one of Jesus' main missions was to do this very thing, was to proclaim the good news to the poor. And when you look up that word, proclaim good news, um, it it's, comes from the, the word that we use for evangelism or to evangelize. It's the same root. And one of the things that I really loved as I was looking at that word is there is such a focus on joy, that proclaiming good news is, is really about bringing joy, bringing glad tidings, that the news is really good news to the people that hear it. And the second is that as we look at that word poor, that it certainly talks, is talking about people that are actually poor, <laughs> that don't have very many resources, but it's also a broad term that can mean anybody who's afflicted, that's in need. And I think a lot of that has to do with is that when we are in that place of need, when we are in that place of suffering, that we are especially open to the good news, that we know that we need joy and glad tidings and good news to come into our life. 
Well, the second thing that Jesus says here from the book of Isaiah is he talks about how he is to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. And these are all acts of freedom, right? In these three chunks here. They're all things where people are bound by something and then they are released into something better, into their place that they were originally designed to be, right? Whether you're um, a prisoner in chains that you are brought out of prison and you are now set free to live the life that you were meant to live. If you are blind, you are released from your blindness and you can now see the world around you and interact with the world around you. And if you're oppressed, it means that you are caught up in some sort of system or by an individual and you are set free to live your life with purpose and independence again. And so Jesus comes to move all of these things forward. And we see throughout the book of Luke that there are many illustrations of Jesus doing these very things. So there's stories of him healing blind people. There's stories of him healing people from demon possession and from evil spirits where he is setting the oppressed free. And later in the book of Acts, which is the second book of Luke's, we see that the apostle Paul, Saul at the time, is set free um, from both physical and moral blindness and set into a life of purpose. And then the third thing that we see Jesus proclaiming here is the year of the Lord's favor. So I wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive here on the year of the Lord's favor because it's actually pretty amazing when you study it. So to the Jewish context, when they would have heard the year of the Lord's favor, their mind would have immediately gone to Leviticus 15 um, where the writer talks about the year of Jubilee. And so if you don't know what the year of Jubilee is, it's something that is commanded for the Israelites in the book of Levit Leviticus. Um, it's supposed to happen every 50 years, and it's basically a year of release and celebration and rest. And in that year, all prisoners and captives are to be set free, all slaves are to be released, all debts are to be forgiven, and all property is to be returned to its original owners. In addition to this, um, all labor was to cease for that year, and those bound by labor contracts were released from them. And one of the benefits of the Jubilee was that both the land and the people were able to rest. So it was a year of rest, of celebration, and justice. That anything that happened during that year in terms of land or slavery or work that was unjust, it was a starting over. And we know that as we think about this year of Jubilee, that it is a foreshadowing of the things to come from Jesus. That Jesus, our Redeemer, is the one that sets us free from slavery and sin. That the sin of debt, that it is paid by the cross of Christ, and that we are forgiven forever. And we are no longer in bondage to sin, but we are freed by Christ. And we can enter into the rest, into the celebration, through the resurrection of Jesus. So the year of Jubilee, meant to be practiced by the Israelite community, and that Jesus is referring to here, was actually taken to a whole other level through the resurrection of Jesus. And there's lots of practical ways that we can think about that. One of the practical ways that came to my mind was thinking about the justice aspect of it, and how just as the Israelites were called to um, lay aside those contracts so that there was a sense of fairness and justice, the New Testament community was invited to give generously to those in need. And we see an account of this in the book of Acts of people selling their possessions and giving generously to those in the community and to those in need. So that's sort of the practical application of how this might work out. Well, then we go on to the rest of Luke 4, which um, I won't read because it's kind of long. But the summary is, is that Jesus says these gracious words 
which would have been really exciting to his people who were, you know, at the time oppressed by the Romans. Um, and he also starts to warn them. And he basically says, um, you, because I'm familiar to you, um, you will give me pushback. And then he reminds them that in the Old Testament, that God chooses to give all of his gracious gifts, miracles, and blessings to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And then what happens, and you can go back and read it, is they basically try to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> All right? So that's the, the spoiler alert that his gracious words that made them so happy, when he opens it up, it helps them to realize that God loves Gentiles and he loves across barriers. Um, his words no longer seem gracious. And they take it to a whole other level. And I think this also provides a huge warning for us that it's easy to grab onto the gracious words of Jesus for freedom and recovery of sight and want that to apply to us, and certainly it does. Um, but there's also a warning in here that we are meant to have a bigger picture of what that could look like, that God is calling us also to have the big view, to look globally, to cross barriers, to imagine that Jesus is doing this work through the church with all types of people. So Jesus' message to his people in Nazareth also serve as a warning to us that we are also empowered to cross lines, to do hard things, and those things come, come at a cost for us, that we are called to, to cross cultures, to um, do things that are outside of our comfort zone, and that we are doing th these things through the power of, of the Holy Spirit, that the resurrection power is the one that's helping us but people, they are still going to feel hard, just as it was really hard to these people to hear about how Jesus' good news went also to the Gentiles. Well, Isaiah prophesied not only the end of brokenness and affliction, but also the return of true joy and gladness, right? That that's the good news of Jesus, that true joy and gladness. We know that Jesus has repaired our inward things through his death on the cross, and he's also making all things new that the power of the resurrection, of fixing broken things, is moving us personally forward, and through the church, it's moving us forward throughout the earth. And ultimately, it is pointing us to the day of resurrection when God will make all things new in heaven and earth. Someday, Christ will finish this restoring work, and we can look forward to that, that that truly will be the year of the Lord's favor. Well, I wanted to close today with a story of how I have seen um, the year of the Lord's favor play out with something that is part of our church. So some of you might know that we have a missionary um, who's stationed overseas, and she works, she's working, doing really good work with a team of people, and they are right by Syria where there was an earthquake recently. And they felt that that was an opportunity for them to go and bring some of this truth from Luke 4 um, to people that were poor, that were afflicted, that were suffering, that really needed it. And so this is what she wrote. And this, this was five days after the earthquake in Syria. She said, We are camping in the hardest hit city. The devastation is unbelievable. Building after building fully collapsed. It's heartbreaking. They estimate that the unofficial number of dead may be 100,000 people. Much of our ministry is praying and weeping with people who have lost multiple family members. But in the midst of so much of this pain, there are Holy Spirit moments. 
The people that we are meeting are kind and have so much resilience. I am completely blown away. And they are bringing insulin and baby formula, handing out food at the city center, and doing much of the work with the people that are believers that are there already. They're partnering with the existing church. And so I wanted to just share this little story as a way that we can think about what would it look like for us to bring the resurrection power of Jesus into these hard situations. That in this little story, that it's easy for us to say, oh, that's what they're doing over there in this incredible devastation. But I want you just to listen about one of the things that she said, because they're the same things that I observe here at Harbor Covenant of what it means to bring healing to people and what it means to bring light to people that they are listening to the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus did, that they are praying for people and weeping for, with people, just as Jesus did, that they are bringing medical supplies and meeting practical needs, just like Jesus did. And these are all things that we're invited into as the church, that as the corporate church, that we can all do our part, that we can love our neighbor, that we can love the people in our small group, that we can love the people in our workplace or in our school environment by practical things, by sharing joy, by sharing pain and sorrow, and by praying the good news of Jesus into their hearts. So today as we close, I have three questions. Number one, what broken thing is on your mind today? Number two, where do you currently see evidence of God's restoration power? And number three, this spring, where might God be inviting you to be part of his restoration plan? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.